Good morning, Living Waters. Great to see you guys. I'm Stephen Riley, lead pastor here at Living Waters Church. And I was on vacation last week. My wife couldn't get off from school, but I got off and went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, because I have five Rileys there. And uh, 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 Jana, over that weekend, she's a freshman at Oral Roberts University, and uh, she had a, a concert and had a solo in the concert, so I got to uh, squeeze into that. Uh, they, they didn't have it. It wasn't open to the public, but they let a few parents come in. So I was able to be there for that. She was beautiful uh, and amazing. And, uh, but I also got to stay with Daniel and Par- Parmela and our two grandkids, uh, Judah, who's over two now, and Eliana, who turned one when I was there. So I got to be a part of, of that birthday celebration. And this little cute little girl, she is so precious. Let me tell you, she is so precious. She's wanting to walk, right? She's just that. She's wanting to walk more. I mean, I, I could see it grow every day, this desire to walk. And, and, and so by the last, you know, couple of days, when you were holding her and you would put her down, she didn't want to just sit down. She didn't want to crawl. She would stick her feet out hold on to your hands, and then her legs are going. So you're just holding on to her hands as she's walking around, and she's just so precious, and I could just go on. But I won't. I'll stop there. And uh, it was just, it just grandpa time is good, you know. It's just refreshing, and, and I had it. So thank you uh, for letting me uh, share that experience with you. Well, I am back, and I am back with um, uh, our continuation of our message uh, and teaching series on Matthew. And it's going to take many, many months to get through this book. And uh, it's so rich. And right now, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6 and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it is chock full of meat and richness and gold and silver and precious stones. And it is not going to just be something we can breeze through yet. I, I, we could take one verse each week and it'd be uh, plenty of meat to study. So uh, kind of pray for me as I uh, ask the Lord to take these next three chapters uh, and, and unfold these for us for the next few weeks. But my little subtitle is God's Handbook for the Blessed Life. And, you know, when you go to a um, new job and they give you a handbook and it can be thick, it can be thin, whatever, but it's the key to a good start at that job. And that is what these three chapters do. These are essential foundational teachings, uh, right, uh, for us to live a blessed life. Uh, This beginning of this teaching, he has uh, actually gone up on a mountainside outside the Sea of Galilee, and um, uh, crowds have been starting to develop, even traveling many miles from the southern part of the nation. And so it, it looks like, it appears that scholars have believed that he went up a mountainside in order to uh, have his voice carry over uh, the area so that thousands of people could listen. And there's another thing that happens here. Like Moses went up on Mount Sinai and gave the Ten Commandments and the law, 
that Jesus went up on the mountainside and he gave the essentials for the family of God, for his people. That Moses gave the Ten Commandments and the law for God's people to live. And, and, and yet here we see Jesus giving eight, some, you can count nine, ten, but let's say eight beatitudes, they call them, that are essential for ours. Some differences between the two. One is that uh, most of the Ten Commandments say, do not steal, do not kill, do not uh, covet. And it's about your behaviors. Well, these that Jesus give are things that not just do, but to be. Things to be. And in the Ten Commandments, two of them give a promise with it directly in the statement. But in these eight Beatitudes, all of them give a promise. How encouraging. And we're going to look at uh, this handbook, this opening statement, like the table of contents of the handbook on the Beatitudes. I am going to um, ask you, though, you have your Bibles out, your phones, uh, apps, and so forth, uh, both online. I know many of you at home or, or, or have your Bible ready, but I just want you to listen to these words in these first number of verses and just listen to them. And I'm going to pray before I read them. Dear Lord Jesus, these are your words. We're asking that you anoint them on our ears and our hearts, that they would bring transformation to our lives and we would grow and be more like you. Oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How fortunate are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Congratulations to the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. How many blessings are there for the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Oh, great is the happiness. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> great is the happiness for those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Congratulations to the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Oh, how happy are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt and the light of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be salty? Again, how can it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works 
and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's say amen to God's word. Now, Stephen, I think you changed some words in there. I don't remember all this happy stuff and congratulations stuff. That's not how my Bible reads it. There are some translations that do translate the word blessed with happy. And if you look at the Greek, that's what they're telling us. That this word blessed means, oh, how happy is this person. Congratulations to that person. Uh, The word beatitude comes from a Latin word and it means utmost bliss. And that term beatitude is a traditional term for these eight virtues, these eight instructions for the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you want a handbook for a blessed life? This is where it begins. Do you want this secret, Christ's secret for a happy life? This is where it starts, is in these eight beatitudes. These are essential to our faith and our lifestyle. As I've been meditating on these for a few weeks, I just feel like I'm getting closer to Jesus. That these are virtues from his heart, from his spirit. And I want to be more like him. You know, the pursuit of happiness is everyone's pursuit. Christian, non-Christian, whatever religion, atheist, it doesn't matter. It really, in the inside, we're looking for fulfillment on the inside. We're looking for happiness, joy, and, and we're all looking in some, from some source somewhere. And Jesus has given us his secret And it starts with these eight virtues. You know, sin, says in Hebrews 11, can have a a pleasure to it. The experience experience in the doing sin has what it calls a passing pleasure of sin. Because it only lasts for a little while. And over time, there's always a negative consequence for sin. And so that pursuit of pleasure, that pursuit of happiness is true for all people. And Jesus is letting us know to be more like him is the key to happiness. Instead of uh, going back to the top of the passage and work our way through, which I normally do, I want to start at the bottom few verses. Because these eight Beatitudes are connected to, these, to this imagery that people of the day would have had to deal with uh, in, in every, every day, every several times a day, and that is salt and light. You know, what is salt? Well, back in the day, it, it was to help flavor things and season food and so forth. But it was essential for the meat to last. They didn't have freezers, folks. Refrigerators. And so once that animal was killed and butchered, you had to eat the meat that day immediately or preserve it with salt. And packing that meat and other things with salt preserved that, that very valuable uh, substance that was nutrition for your family. It was sustenance. It was absolutely necessary to have salt to survive and be able to feed your family. So let's look at uh, the verse there in Matthew 5, verse 13. 
It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salt again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. These eight virtues and instructions, they keep you and me salty. They keep us to be able to preserve what's around us, to preserve, uh, to go into the world and be a preservative to the world on the earth. Let's go on and look at light here. For them, they didn't have lead bulbs. They didn't have uh, fluorescent lighting. They didn't have flip the switch. They had to continually get wood. They had to continually buy oil. They had continually to fill their little oil lamps and build torches in order to have light. It was work. It was a daily necessity. Uh, we've, we, we just flip a switch. We lose the, the appreciation of this. And it goes like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So a key for us to be a light in the world is to be blessed, to be happy with these eight virtues and promises in our life. Particularly in today's world, there's, it's hard to find much true joy and happiness. It sticks out in the crowd. Listen, it's part of the light of God. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said in, in this Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are the light of the world. See, he chooses to... To have a partnership where if we disappear out of the world, the world is sunk. It won't, it'll be just covered with darkness. There won't be any light left. It is our commission to go into the world and partner with the light of the world, Jesus, who lives inside us by his spirit and let our light shine. And it's a danger if we do put it under a basket and cover it because not only it, you can't see it and now it's dark and you fumble around and people don't know what to do or they run into things and hurt themselves, but the light may get extinguished because lack of oxygen. So the very health and the brilliance of the light is, gets brighter when we shine it because then we get that oxygen that feeds it instead of covering it up. We're seeing this right now in Washington, D.C. That the far left that is often anti-biblical in their approach to law and living, now they lead the White House, the House of Representatives, the Senate, many places in the judicial system around our country, and so they're able to just do what they want to do without light and salt, just opposite uh, and antagonistic to the Word of God. And it's painful. And it is a place, again, a reminder 
that you and I need to be out in the community. We need to be in the clubs, into the, uh, the governmental uh, participating in prayer and involvement in local and state government. Because we are the light to the world. You know, Jesus was made sure this transfer and this partnership would happen. He lived on the earth 33 years. Three years he was released in ministry and he was the light of the world. But when he left the world, he gave his spirit to be in us who believe so that uh, that light could spread all over and not just be contained in one body. Good plan, huh? Good strategy. Get us scattered around. Well, now let's go back up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And look at these eight virtues and instructions and promises and see what happens uh, to us as we follow these. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this instruction is be poor in spirit. And the promise is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as you're already seeing, this is not something that you go do or don't do. Like in the Ten Commandments, this is something that you must become on the inside. This is referencing uh, that, that a desperation and need for God. I believe these Beatitudes refer to our path in salvation. And I believe they also apply to us who are already uh, saved in our transformation to be more like Christ. And for salvation, this uh, Beatitude is saying, I need God. I have nothing and am nothing. We realize as an unbeliever that I, I can't make it. I can't do it. I, I, I'm so weak without him. I'm so needy. I lack everything. I can't make it happen, particularly on the inside of me. I've perhaps accomplished much and been successful, but still on the inside, I lack so much. I need God. I am nothing. I, I have nothing. For us who believe, it's we stay dependent on God. In every area of our life. And that's that transformation where there are areas that he's saying, I want to be more involved in that. I want to lead that. I want to sanctify. I want to get in in that area. I want you to trust me in that area. Stop depending on your own. Yes, confidence in Christ is good. That's faith released. That means we have courage. And yet if we forget where our strength comes from, we can often stop praying about it. We stop surrendering to God. We start, oh, I've done this before. This is easy. And we lose our being poor in spirit and dependence on God. So this is a message of continual transformation. And last week in Philip's series, two-part series on grace, uh, one of his main points last week was reigning grace. And that's where this is needed. Whereas you say, I, I can't change myself. I'm trying. I'm, I'm really getting determined. But I can't. Oh, but there's grace called reigning grace, empowering grace that's available to us to be transformed, to obey these instructions 
to be transformed and we rely on God's grace. I encourage you to look back at those messages if you didn't get a chance to do that. Let's go Matthew chapter four, uh, 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So the instruction is to mourn and the promise is you shall be comforted. I believe this is, again, has multiple layers of application. For the journey of salvation, it's finally the person saying, I hate my life. I don't like my life. It's empty. I, I'm, I'm longing. I have longings. I don't know where, what to, where to find these. I hate my life. I need help. And the person is grieving over the life. And that gets them searching for truth and answers. Jesus even said more than once, and for example, in Matthew 10, 39, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. And so we do. We get rid of the old man, the old life. We turn uh, away from him. We say, I, need, I want your life in me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. I want you, Lord, of my life in your blood washing me clean. And for transformation, I believe this is applied in a couple ways. In our mourning that we mourn to the Lord. All of us have some degree of sorrow and grief and tragedy that happens. Money can't avoid that. Success doesn't keep that away. We're all in this fallen world together. And the, though you might be perfect, the rest of us aren't. And so just sorrowful things happen. And I believe he's saying that, hey... If you mourn to me, don't leave me out. Don't go run and hide. I will comfort you. Counselors and psychologists have found that everybody grieves on the inside and there's sorrow. And, but that doesn't mean everybody expresses it and shares it with a loved one, a friend, a family member, or to God. And it's one of the more dangerous things we can do to ourselves is to hold grief inside. Because that's not mourning. Mourning and expressing that grief and being honest. And, and there's healing that comes like that. But mourning is also in a spiritual sense. And those of you who are prayer warriors and intercessors, you know what this is like. Where God gives you a burden uh, or a mother praying for a wayward child and you have a burden. But like Regina and others have taught here in intercession but that's not designed for you to hold on day after day after day. God gives it to you to intercede, but you must release that to God, who's the one that ever intercedes at the right hand of God. He wants to turn your mourning into joy, to release that faith and not walk in a burden of sorrow, even in prayer long term. Well, I'm praying for my child. I'm praying for my friend. I'm praying for this situation. That's right. And you do that as the Lord gives you his heart, but he also wants you to release it to him and say, Lord, I believe that you continue on these prayers. It's in your hands. I'm not the Savior. I don't have Messiah complex. Okay, I'm going to release it to you and let you um, continue to bring about your will in this person, this situation, and 
He turns your mourning into joy. Let's go to verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Sometimes this is uh, translated gentle in some translations. But the instruction is to be meek, and the promise is you shall inherit the earth. Some interpret this to be land, and it's a, it's a word to the Israelis, to the Jewish, that you're going to inherit the land. Be humble, and, and I will bless you with the land, and they have. Israel is a nation again, and that land has been returned to them. But there's a lot of misconceptions about meekness. Some people might use, oh, that person is meek, and they're saying that they're shy, and they're, they draw back, and they're weak, and, and, and that's not accurate. That's not true. Meekness is quiet strength. Meekness is quiet strength. And the reason, I, I believe, one reason why they shall inherit the earth is because people see their quiet strength. They see that they're not uh, uh, promoting themselves and, and trying to lead out uh, to build uh, them, their own uh, desires and kingdoms. They serve. They're gentle. And they uh, have quiet strength. And so people trust them and say, hey, will you take care of this for me? Uh, here's, some, uh, here's some ministry. Here's some property. Here's a business. I need you to, to lead this on. I trust you. Because you have a servant's heart. My dad was that way. And this is one of the main attributes I spoke about uh, uh, him in, at his funeral a year and a half ago. That my dad had a quiet strength. And he did more behind the scenes that people realized and people trusted him. And, and particularly in missions to Africa, he led and developed uh, ministries and missions and connections to Africa for his church. And then it spread out into the city of Lynchburg. You know, Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me because I am meek and lowly of heart. So Jesus has this quiet strength, this gentleness. And he's safe to come to him with your burdens. Let's go to verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled. So the instruction, the promise is to hunger and thirst for righteousness and you shall be satisfied and filled. And, and you know, when you're, uh, when you're hungry and thirsty, you keep looking for that water bottle till you find it. When you're hungry, you keep searching the cabinets until you find something. Now, a little side note, in fasting, if you break that three to four day mark, in fasting, God lets your body change, and instead of looking at your stomach for energy, it starts looking to other energy cells like uh, to get energy, like fat cells and things. That's a good thing, huh? And your stomach doesn't growl as much. But we're designed when we're hungry and thirsty to go find it, to pursue it, to be desperate to get it. Lisa was reminding me of a story when Jana was a little girl. It's a hot day, playing outside, all red and sweaty, comes inside. I need something to drink. I need something to drink. Lisa got some juice out of the refrigerator and gave it to her. She said, very cold, very cold, very, very cold. 
Yes, she was thirsty and she was going to find something. But I think it's more like Psalm 42, uh, verses 1 and 2, where it says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants and longs for you, God. And deer in that region of the world would have understood deserts and droughts where it was life or death to find that water. That's that hunger, that's that thirstiness. So for salvation, it's, it's um, realize that we realize that, in, I'm, I kind of skipped a couple points there, sorry, we're good though, we'll stick where we are. That I'm not right with God. I am not, um, I am, I've strayed far from God, I'm not close to Him. And in this journey, we realize righteousness is something that I can't uh, earn and perform, and I feel this satisfaction on the inside. No, salvation is a, is a free gift, and righteousness is given by your blood, and that satisfies, oh, I'm righteous. How, how did that happen? I just asked for his cleansing by his blood, and he gave it to me. I'm righteous now. I'm in right standing. And in transformation, it's I want to live more like Christ. My lifestyle, I want it right. I want it to reflect him. I want integrity and honesty and holiness to reflect my life. Let's go to verse 7. And Lord... This is, this is a long list. But Lord, it's your list. So we're just asking, Lord God, that you uh, bring about to our minds and hearts the ones you want us to focus on, to surrender to, to say, oh, reigning grace, work in me. Verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Sowing and reaping is a part of the kingdom of God. It's a part of life. Whether you're a believer or not, what you sow into life, into a relationship, into a situation, you will receive back that type of thing. It's true in all of these Beatitudes, but this one, it's specifically notated by Jesus that when you give that virtue of mercy, mercy, you shall receive mercy. That's the instruction and the promise right back to you. See, mercy means... You don't get what you deserve. Grace means you get what you didn't deserve. This is important in salvation that a a person realize I deserve judgment as I am. I am a sinner. God is so holy and pure. I must have salvation because I deserve judgment. Oh God, have mercy on me. And in transformation, living out our life for the Lord, it's I, I don't want to desire harm on others. Lord, help me, even if they don't deserve it, may you have mercy on them. May I have mercy on them. I want to dovetail into an example here. 
Kamala Harris, uh, back in 2015-16, Attorney General for the state of California, showed her true colors as far as uh, being a pro-abortionist. For one, Planned Parenthood was supporting her and her campaign in 2016 to run, I believe, for Senate. And uh, Daniel DeLayden was the young man that went under uh, and did interviews with Planned Parenthood staff and had hidden cameras. And they, in California, and Planned Parenthood had plans and had ways to sell the baby body parts. And all this was caught on camera in California. And that's against the law. Kamala was the, uh, was the attorney general at the time and, and she, her candidacy for the Senate was being supported by the Planned Parenthood and she never did do an investigation. Instead, she had a police force go to Daniel's home and just confiscate all of his stuff. She shouldn't have been involved at all. There was a conflict of interest. Concerned Women for America and other pro-life organizations said, this is corrupt, this is a conflict of interest, and Kamala Harris is just leading the way in this corruptness in California. I just don't trust her far-left extreme positions. And that she will, as she's shown here, do opposite or break the law to do what she wants. I know that sounds like being political, but I am going by what the laws in the land say, and I'm saying this was a breaking of the law, and it was injustice. A few weeks ago, a friend here at church said, I had a dream about Kamala Harris. I was like, really? And he had this dream, and in the dream, she got saved. And it really messed up the political party. Because she was being radically changed. And the dream shocked me. And I felt the conviction of the Lord. I hadn't prayed for her salvation. I hadn't even hardly knew if it was possible. I wasn't walking in this virtue where I could, was praying for her genuinely, that God would have mercy on her and save her and turn her life around. Lord, we pray that that dream is a, becomes a reality. That her and many others in the extreme left in high leadership in our government have mercy on them. That they cry out, oh, I need the mercy of God. I hate my life. I need God's righteousness. I'm far from him. Lord, have mercy. Pour out your spirit and bring your righteousness to these people. Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You're seeing this pattern then in the Ten Commandments. It deals more with the external behaviors and actions. But here we are, Jesus saying, Happy are those that are pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
See, the Lord wants to go deeper than our actions, though they bear fruit. That's the fruit of what's happening internally. And he's saying that there's the instructions to be impure in heart, you shall see God. And in salvation, this is, this is absolutely necessary that a person says, I'm unclean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel dirty on the inside. I, no matter what I do, I can't get this off of me. What do I need? You need the free gift paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his blood to wash all your sins away. And for transformation, we need to let the Lord to, to show us when our intentions, when our thoughts, when our, our, our motivations are not pure. And let us be shocked. Lord, did I really think that thought? Did I really think that pattern? That was carnal. That was worldly. How ungodly. Oh God, before it gets to an action, I take that thought captive as... 1 Corinthians 10's instructs and says, I take that thought captive. I make it obedient to Christ. That's not of me. That's not of your spirit. That's of the flesh and, uh, or of the devil, and I'm not going there. God wants to purify our hearts, our internal being, our mind, will, and our emotions. And with, with that, a promise comes. Another promise. We get to see God. He opens his grace of seeing him as he is. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. There are not many peacemakers today. There's a divisive spirit among our community and in the church. Are you wearing a mask or not? You should matter. You shouldn't wear a mask. How much distancing are you going to do? Do you wear your political stance? You should be in class, in school, or out of class, and not in school. What about vaccinations? Everybody should get them. No, everybody should have a freedom of choice. Yes, strong convictions are good and passions are great. But Lord, help us to be peacemakers in the midst of differences and disagreements. That we care more about the person's heart and life than we do uh, our differences and disagreements. And we can look for ways, even with those that oppose us, how to love on them and how to pray for them. This peace is essential for salvation. That can be the heart cry for many unbelievers. I need peace. My mind is not at rest. I can't sleep at night. I'm tormented. There's darkness. There's so much worry and fear all over me. What is peace? How can I buy it? Just let me buy it. How can I find it? And they try and they can't find it. You've been there. You've lived that. How valuable is peace? Well, God says... Uh, in trans- transforming us that he wants us to spread peace as his salt and light. Peace is salt. It preserves things. Peace is light in a dark place. And because we have dependence of meekness, uh, a dependence on God, we can walk in peace in the midst of circumstances around it. It's su- supernatural. Because our list of Distresses might be longer than theirs.
this uh, verse 10, this last uh, beatitude where I'm actually kind of clumping together uh, these last two into one, and that makes eight, and, but it's spread over several verses, and I break it down and look at it a little differently. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the instruction is live righteously despite persecution. And your promise is the kingdom, that this, this prayer that, uh, Lord, may your will be done, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, comes to those who stay faithful through persecution and right living. You, in, in salvation, you have to count the cost. This is one, another parable and imagery Jesus gives. It says, listen, before you go to war, before you build a building, count the cost so you can be sure to finish it. And unbelievers, you remember, we, we do that. It's, do, do I really want to become, do I really be, want to become a follower of Christ? Because I'm, I'm, I'm my family, I'm going to be ridiculed by my, you know, I'm, there's going to be persecution that's going to come of some form or fashion. Do I really want to do this? Count the cost. In transformation, God wants to give us grace to be continually salt and light despite the persecution that's very likely ahead. And of course, in America, we've been a largely Judeo-Christian society that took these values, biblical values, and applied them to society and community. And we haven't felt much of persecution. It's starting to rise now. There's starting to be opposition more than ever. Some countries have been this way for eons. This is just life for them. It's the way it's always been. We've just taken it for granted. Or Roberts University, uh, a Christian college, not in name only, but in their, their uh, uh, student handbook and the moral code, godly moral code, they expect and they actually, uh, you know, apply to their student body. Uh, and they, in the March Madness, they got to the Sweet 16. They were the Cinderella story. Breaking brackets. Woohoo! Or are you breaking brackets? It was fun watching those games. They really were a good team. Some good shooters on the team. They were hustlers. And there was a U.S. Today editor uh, that wrote an article and said they should not be in the NCAA uh, organization because they're a Christian college and they, uh, you know, have these moral codes and these different. Uh, expectations and morality. I was grateful U.S. Today let someone else write a response to that, and that was had logic to it, made sense. But that is Christian college presidents. They've been watching this. They know at any day, all state and federal funding could be uh, challenged and taken away for student loans for students in, in private Christian schools. And so, count the cost. Look ahead. God wants us to live righteously despite the persecution that's ahead. So, this next uh, verse, it connects to this previous beatitude. So, it's one, but I'm breaking it up to look at it more carefully. It says in verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your, your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Yes, that instruction again, it's, I'm describing a little different. It's stay loyal to me. Because Jesus said, uh, for the sake of me, because of me, our love relationship, our uh, Uh, there's a loyalty between you and I because we have a history. Stay faithful in the midst of persecution. Don't abandon uh, our, our love for one another. Don't abandon our connection because of me. Stay loyal. And then the promise is a little different in this one. It says the promise is the reward in heaven is great. That's, that's cool. We get more eternal rewards. Not just blessings on earth, but eternal rewards. Can we encourage ourselves? Stay true, Stephen. Stay faithful. Be bold, as Fred was praying for us. Be bold in the community because if there is persecution, I get extra rewards in heaven. Woohoo! Rejoice and be glad. Have you ever heard stories of the underground church in China or... The underground church in Russia years ago where Christians would get beaten and if not killed and the women would get raped and the, they would get beaten put in prison and you would hear them tell their stories. Many times they're like, I rejoice because I was persecuted for Christ's sake. I rejoice. I'm glad. I've got more rewards in heaven. It was an honor that I was worthy of that persecution. This is essential for our, the path of salvation. Because what it is at the bottom of our hearts, is there anything worth living for in the afterlife? Is there anything out there besides just what we see? Is there a reality out there that is a deep question asked over and over again? And when they see us, that we have peace and joy despite persecution... They go, they're they're living for something deeper. They're living for something beyond what we see on the earth because they just got ridiculed, persecuted. Their their business was attacked because they stand uh, for Jesus. They were just, uh, just cut out of the family because of their stance for the Lord. And yet, look at them. They, they're rejoicing and there's something eternal about them. What is that? Because they just lost so much that's so dear. Oh yes, there are, in our transformation, there are rewards in heaven. There are eternal rewards. Jesus ends just with this one. He says, I want you to think eternally. Don't get so wrapped up in your natural circumstances that you forget. That this is very brief. This is just the beginning of your eternal life. for our altar ministry teams to go ahead and come up front and be available for prayer. We have a prayer line uh, on the screen for those of you at home. Uh, on Sunday morning, this prayer line is available for 30 minutes and we have somebody there available for you. Our, our people who are going to be here for prayer, they're available to pray for anything going on in your life, something that's still bothering you, something that's going on. 
But I'd like for us to just, in this last worship song, let's just let the Holy Spirit confirm and, and, and pinpoint specifically what He wants to transform in us. If, if you don't know Jesus personally, and you're on this journey of salvation, I pray for you that this would be the moment, the day, that you say, yes, I, I want this blessed life. I want this happy life. I want to be more like Jesus. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody here just to repeat after me a, a prayer of salvation. So anyone here or anyone watching can pray that in your heart and it can be real, uh, real and true for you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I want that happy life. I turn away from my old life and I turn towards you. Come into my heart to stay. Forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me. I want to be more like you. I want to have your peace. I, I believe that you'll give it to me right now. I believe that you rose again from the grave. And you give me these promises to my life. Because you defeated all sin and all death. Thank you, Lord, for coming into my life. Now as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you just to wait on the Holy Spirit. Let Him just be more specific in what He's saying as far as these eight virtues becoming more like Him. These promises that He wants to give. And then I'll close with the blessing.